You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello there and welcome back in to the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat lucid, somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He's the man that you are wanting to hear from, the purveyor, the owner, the operator of SportsMediaWatch.com. Hello, Dr. John Lewis. Good to be back with you with another edition. We now know the final four teams in the NFL. We uh, we definitely uh, saw some very interesting and exciting action uh, from this weekend that translates into numbers. We'll know the Super Bowl participants soon enough. The, we've got that. We've got conversation about the NBA and media rights and much more. How are you, sir, as we get ready for another show? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there because at the time that we're talking, we're still wondering what's going to happen with Tom Brady. Everybody, yep. John, is under the belief that he somehow communicates with me and that yep. I have this info and this insight. I'm just confirming on the SMW podcast here I don't have the intel on what TB12 wants to do on his own podcast, on the Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray. Uh, he used the colorful F word a couple of times describing yeah. that he doesn't really know. And when he does know, then I guess he'll share it with the rest of us what he's going to do. Let the speculation continue about whether he plays on. Does he play on in Tampa Bay? Does he play on somewhere else? Important to remind that he could be an unrestricted free agent. He can play anywhere he wants. That differs from a year ago when he was still under contract uh, with the Buccaneers. Okay, so uh, plenty to get to, to go over and discuss. Uh, first, thank you for finding us. Social media link through John's website, sportsmediawatch.com. Uh, and make sure you're following or subscribing here uh, to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, make sure that you uh, sign up and, and follow or subscribe because then it comes automatically to you here uh, midweek on the show. Uh, with that, John, let's get into the NFL and the teams that were playing for this past weekend. And of course, the not surprising news at that Dallas Cowboys San Francisco 49er game. Let's let's lead with the final game. That game got massive numbers, as we suspected from Fox. Let's dive right in with that. How did it do and how did it do relative to recent years? Well, it was a, a tremendous audience, over 45 million viewers, which is the second largest audience ever for a divisional round game with the obvious caveat of out of home viewing being a factor. Uh, so obviously it's not really the second most watched divisional round game ever, but based on the numbers we have, that's what it looks like. The second most watched divisional round game yet and a very large audience, uh, exactly what Fox was hoping for. 
Uh, the reality of the matter is you get the Cowboys in there. It's a close game. You're going to get big numbers. Uh, there are people who are resistant to the idea that the Cowboys are a big draw because don't like the Cowboys. Well, you know, so be it. People uh, may not like the Cowboys. They may not like Tom Brady. They may not like LeBron James or Serena Williams or Tiger Woods. But these are the people who draw in sports. And that's just the way that it is. And so, and and we've talked about that and covered this for a, a good amount of time that the hate factor of the anti-factor, whether you're talking about the Yankees, whether you're talking about Alabama football, uh, it draws in extra people. So I don't know what sure planet does. you're on that you don't realize that an extra three to four to maybe even five million want to tune in to see the Cowboys lose. I'm curious if you have the breakout, mm-hmm. the final hour of the game, close game, and you always preach close games mean everything yep. on, on helping draw audience. The final hour was the nine Eastern time hour, six Pacific time hour. I have to believe that was probably somewhere closer to 50 million in that final hour. Do we know that breakout yet, or we're still trying to figure that out? Well, I don't have the full hour, but the final, uh, the, the big quarter hour, 930 to 945 was 51.5 million. Wow. So, you know, I mean, that's a huge audience, obviously, for any 15 minute period. You know, uh, so Fox is celebrating. They've been airing ads for this show for a while, some random show they've got. Uh, uh, called uh, accused and you've probably seen the ad for it where they got the <laughs> girl with a single tear coming down it's like <laughs> what is this uh, so you know they're they're celebrating over at fox that that had uh like a two rating in the demo which it did it was a 2.1 rating in 18 to 49 1.38 in 18 to 34 uh that says two things one any window where you're following a 630 nfl game whether it's the super bowl the uh, conference championship game or that divisional round game. If you've got an NFL playoff game that starts at 6:30, that lead out is going to be one of the top rated shows of the year. You can launch a series out mm-hmm. of that window. Uh, Fox obviously is not going to get that kind of number for accused ever again, just like the show with Susan Sarandon. The fact is they could have aired pink flamingos out of that <laughs> NFL game and gotten a rating that high <laughs> at least as long as people could stand. To I'll watch. make you laugh more. They could air a crusty, the clown anthology from the Simpsons and probably have done that. Well, uh, yeah, I'm just well, putting it out there, just making a, a reference to some old school Fox. I don't know if Melrose place would have done as well. Well, it would something. be, it would, it would still be a lot more appropriate than a John Waters film, but you get the idea. Like there's, <laughs> there's nothing that they could have aired out of that. That would not have done well. So right. to me, you know, I don't even know how much you brag about. And I was thinking about it. You know, they're going to launch after the Super Bowl because they have that window again in two weeks or three mm-hmm. weeks. It's the Super Bowl. And they're going to get uh, some cooking show, some one of these ridiculous Gordon Ramsay. Is that the Gordon Ramsay one with all the three levels where depending on, you know, know, it's a class system. And depending on how well you cook, you get to different things. And why do I get the feeling that somebody's going to go through a trap door down to level two or level one? And maybe I might yeah. want to watch if that's what's going to happen. If somebody know. gets, you know, down the uh, down the dumb waiter or the uh, the small I elevator. Know. I don't know. But they're going to they're sure going to they're going to air that one after yeah. the Super Bowl, we think. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself at this point, there's no regular series. There's no, you know, t- there's no scripted series. There's no reality show. There's no once a week in prime time show that is going to actually have any staying power with one of those lead ins. So to me, you, you got to do what NBC did, live sports, another big event, or late night, 
You know, CBS put Colbert after there, and it was a big deal for Colbert to get that. Uh, obviously, the only late night show Fox has is Gutfeld, and so there'd be a lot of people who'd be pretty <laughs> upset if that was here after the Super Bowl. But if you want, if you want my honest opinion, I mean, that probably makes more sense. Like these shows, they're getting these incredible lead-ins, incredible samplings, and it's just frittered away immediately. So to me, the only thing that makes sense is something that is not, you know, something that might be every night, something that might be late night something live sports i mean i don't know because as long as hey can i just say as long as it's not the mass singer or name that tune with randy jackson right that's fox what was the cbs wasted that super bowl lead-in on something called the world's best it was uh, the world's worst show wait a minute it obviously wasn't the world's best because i don't even remember this how recent was that that was was the last super bowl they aired i think in 21 so the Buccaneers Chiefs. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. The world's best what? I don't even remember it two no. years later. We don't even yeah. know what that was. It might well, have been I, the one they did in 19. I don't know. I was just it, thinking. Yeah, it was. It, it Maybe so. All right. So I was just thinking, though, Fox typically would have 24 with Kiefer Sutherland that yeah. would debut sometimes on the Sunday night, the pilot, the new season, or the, the first episode of the new season to kick it going would come after the Super Bowl and everybody would be, you know, up in arms. But again, that was a different time. We we yeah. know that even five years ago, much less 10 or 15 years ago, yeah. it was a different time on network yeah. TV. But still, I get your point with the massive audience. All right, so let's back up on Sunday to the Bengals upset of the Buffalo Bills. I know CBS was touting that as huge live audience yeah. for them in the earlier window at 3 Eastern time, noon Pacific. John, give us the quick breakdown and and how it compares. Well, nearly 40 million viewers, which is a tremendous audience for 3 o'clock. I thought it would be over 40, to be completely honest. Uh, But, uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, Better to be in your 30s than over 40 anyway, right, in general. But, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, the reality of the matter is, uh, you know, it it did well. It, it It was a strong number. Again, a little bit inflated with out of home, uh, as with the Cowboys game. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to start saying the NFL is more popular than ever because it isn't. I mean, it's just not. Uh, you know, I think out of home kind of makes that a little bit questionable. But I think, you know, you, you certainly can celebrate the numbers. Uh, and I think they are uh, tremendous numbers, but I'm not going to go, you know, crazy over them. I mean, Again, we you can just even go back to wild card weekend. I mean, uh, let me see if I have these numbers directly in front of me, because if you take out out of home, none of those wild card games last week had even 30 million viewers. Right. OK. So with out of home, all three of them got over 30 million. If you take out of home out, the most watched was Cowboys Bucks. It was like 29 million. A great number. But, you know, the, the NFL situation looks a lot more unchanged from you know 2018 2019 if you take out of home out of the picture and as we keep saying and you just alluded to it it devastates everything else so we get that we get that but just in the comparisons you've been very articulate on that by the way i should make mention of the audience because i have not uh, done it as of yet we've got a special guest that's joining us Uh, after we're done talking the nfl we're going to talk some nba what their future media rights might look like jason clink scales and jason has got some great insight from having worked previously at turner sports and worked in sports media at a couple of different places Uh, he's written on the site about the nba media deal so after we talk some football we'll talk with jason in a little bit stand by uh for that interview hey just real quick before we move backwards to saturday there's been a lot of criticism of tony romo Mm -hmm. that with his analysis 
with with uh, you know maybe lack of lack of enthusiasm, lack of being engaged. John, where do you come down on that? Because Romo's made such a big splash, has obviously cashed in with big time money. Is the criticism warranted when he's calling a game? He's going to obviously call the AFC title game, Chiefs and Bengals. Do you believe it's a little unfounded? Where do you come down on that? Well, Twitter is nothing without criticism. That's really all it's ever been about. Uh, look, I mean, it's tough because the criticism is legitimate. Romo is starting to become a cartoon character. You know, I mean, he's going to drop a giggity on the air one of these days like Quagmire. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, he's he is becoming a caricature like every great TV character. Just the same way that George Costanza went from being kind of a bit of a, you know, normalish character with some tendencies to screaming about Twix by the final season. Right. That's just the way that it happens in TV. And Tony Romo is a real person, but he's also a TV character. And he's leaning into all of these various things that people liked. And it's becoming a situation where they're not just aspects to what he does anymore, but they're maybe a little bit more center stage. You got to have ultimately you can't just have the the condiments you can't just have the ranch dressing you got to have a little bit of salad underneath there too mm -hmm. and uh he's maybe being a little bit more of just one big bowl of ranch dressing right now so you know maybe john's uh, hungry uh, on the food metaphor so is the criticism uh, of not as engaged as you would like him and i've heard sports media critics saying that is that warranted that he's not as all in as the Tony Romo of the 20, you know, 15, 16, 17 era, whenever it was that he started 2017, 2018 uh, era was much more engaged. Is that is there some truth to that? Well, he's not hungry anymore, right? Of course he is. And he's making all the money that he's making. And, uh, you know, he came in with a relatively small salary, millions of dollars, right? But still a relatively small salary. As somebody who was replacing Phil Sims, he benefited from the fact that he was replacing Phil Sims. Phil Sims was kind of a killjoy. He, Phil Sims, it's amazing. His career has been as successful as it's been because he does not have much in the way of charisma. He's, you know, you go from basically Billy Packer to Bill Raftery, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the same way that the college basketball has benefited so much. I mean, Billy Packer couldn't have survived the Twitter era, man. It would have been terrible. Right. Uh, he retired at the right time. Uh, the same way that the college basketball improved when he left, the NFL improved when Phil Sims left and was replaced by someone younger, fresher, more excited. It's just that Romo became too big of a deal. He became viral in a way. And when people become viral, they lose themselves a little bit. You know, it's kind of like with this, um, who is that? Uh, the Iron Sheik on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, is this even, is he even writing these tweets? You become, again, a cartoon character. You Are you whatever. making, you're making 1980s wrestling references? Look at you on the SMW uh, podcast. No. Cause I think you just walked into something that you didn't realize you walked into uh, because this is the anniversary this week. In January of 1983, of Hulk Hogan defeating the Iron wow. Sheik in the famous moment for the then WWF heavyweight title at Madison Square Garden, that's the most famous the Iron Sheik has ever been. But you're right, he's a caricature now on Twitter, yeah. and he hasn't been a wrestler for 30 years, and Hulk Hogan hasn't been a wrestler for 20-plus years. Yeah. Um, but I'm just I'm just saying that uh, all of that took place, the anniversary of that big moment, if you're into wrestling and into the into what, I mean, look, it became much more um, mainstream and on yeah. network TV and all of that 
because of Hulk Hogan, Vince McMahon's vision, and Dick Ebersole and NBC putting it on network TV um, in the in the 1980s as something different. So, but whatever, I understand your point about caricature on that. All right, so All right. we continue on the playoff discussion. So Fox had a blowout Eagles game over the Giants. Uh, that was the prime time on Saturday. And then uh, earlier on Saturday, the Chiefs game had the drama of Patrick Mahomes being injured, yeah. but came back in the game. And then it ended up being a fairly close game with Jacksonville. So dissected a little bit for us, Dr. John Lewis, on comparable Saturday divisional round games and how it did. Well, uh, the Giants-Eagles game did not do well at all. It was the lowest rated primetime divisional round game yet. Uh, so primetime, remember, that didn't start until 2002. Uh, and I'm, you know, uh, with the Saturday night game. So it's really just that one window. But it is still the lowest rated primetime divisional round game yet. What uh, was the comparable game a year ago? I'm trying to remember on the divisional weekend. 49ers, uh, 49ers Packers, very so high profile. Yeah. And 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 how much did it dwarf the and again, close game upset by the 49ers versus one-sided game with no yeah. drama in the second half for Eagles beating the Giants. Yeah, well, it had 8 million fewer viewers. So wow. that's a big a big drop, it's about 22% drop. Every other game was up to a multi-year high. So that tells you that the game did not do very well. I was, uh, you know, I've got a bit of a theory. I don't know if it's legitimate or not, but, you know, that was the only game of the weekend that was the secondary game for a network, right? NBC had one, CBS had one, Fox had two. And, you know, ultimately, if you have two games, you might give a little bit more love to one game than the other. Uh, starting next year, every divisional round game will be on one different, uh, you know, a, a different network. Yeah, so ESPN and ABC will get in the mix. You'll have one on Fox, one on CBS, one on NBC, one on ESPN and ABC. And I wonder if that might help out a little bit because then every game, the network airing it is going to go full bore. They're going to have their number one team. No disrespect to Joe Davis and Daryl Johnston. They're going to have the number one team. They're going to, it's going to be their big game, all the promotional power. And maybe that will help a little bit because, you know, generally that secondary game is I believe the least watched of the weekend. Let me see if I have that right. Um, last year it was. So this year and last year, that's the, the game that is the second game for one network was the least watched of the whole weekend. And uh, 2020, uh, you can throw that out because we don't really know what those numbers were because of the undercount. But uh, also the case in, well, 19, not quite. But uh, it's not a foolproof theory. Let's put it that way. But it's an in interesting general, theory. Yeah. I like I like the theory, and I and you're educating us that it will be on a different network with ABC joining Fox, NBC, and CBS for the divisional round. Um, and and as I shared with you on last week's show, the way that ESPN covered that wild card game, which is their only playoff game, they they had personnel and equipment and shows like it was a Super Bowl all day on Monday. That's how they treated it. That's part okay. of your point on that mentality. Uh, for that game, and I'm sure they'll do the same thing for the divisional round game, whether it's on Saturday or Sunday. They'll treat it yeah. the same the same way. What about NBC's uh, broadcast of uh, of Jaguars hanging in with the Kansas City Chiefs and the whole drama of Mahomes' injury that still continues? Anything else on that? Oh, it did quite well. Over 34 million viewers up from last year, multi-year high. Obviously, all the out-of-home stuff when we talk about multi-year highs needs to be kept in mind, but uh, did great. Uh, obviously the Chiefs in a competitive game, a little bit of drama with Mahomes. The Jaguars are not a particularly impressive draw, but the fact of the matter is if you 
if people think there's going to be a potential upset, they're going to tune in. So a heck of a lot more interesting to folks than if they were going to upset the Jaguars or excuse me, the uh, Chargers. The Chargers don't carry that kind of, uh, of course, right? You know, and the Chiefs certainly do. So uh, I think it did quite well. Uh, NBC certainly not going to complain. Thirty-four million viewers. Uh, you know, that Saturday four thirty window. I mean, it's it's if there's any window where you know where you don't get what you're looking for quite, because ultimately it's not like you get a great lead in. You know, I mean, because there's going to be a primetime game on at eight. You know, and it's Saturday night. It's not a bad window by any stretch, but you know, uh, thirty-four million. Hey, you can't complain. It would be nice if they had gotten one of the Sunday windows, but you know, you got to live with it. And and by the way, do you have a guess? Because we will have it will be first. The Philadelphia San Francisco game will be on Fox in the three Eastern time uh, time window. The second game will be Kansas City Cincinnati, the rematch from last year on CBS along about 640 Eastern time, 340 in the West. Do you, again, with the, with the understanding you always uh, qualify it's, they've got to be good games. They've got to be fairly close games or you're going to get a tune out factor. Do you have a guess on how those will do with those matchups? I would, my educated thought would be no matter the star power of Mahomes, the Philadelphia, San Francisco, East coast, West coast, Hate factor for both of those teams. I think that one may actually do better, even though it's not in the better slot. That's just my educated guess. Yeah. You're more the expert. Well, I think it's certainly possible depending on the quality of the game. You got to keep in mind Brock Purdy versus Jalen Hurts is not a matchup yet that people are accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, you don't have the star quarterbacks in here. Um, you know, it's got to be a good game, right? So it cannot be what the Eagles did to the Giants last week. It's got to be a good game. And, you know, the 49ers, uh, there's really no West Coast NFL team that I would say is a particularly strong draw. So, you know, it's all about the quality of the game and your opponent. The Eagles are not quite the kind of draw the Cowboys are. So that'll be a big factor. And then for the uh, primetime game, Bengals Chiefs, you know, that did pretty well last year. Uh, obviously Cincinnati, you'd prefer to have Buffalo in there, uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and, um, it should do well though. If it's a good game and I would expect it to be, it should do quite well. Uh, will it do over 50 million like 49ers, uh, uh, Rams last year? I would think so. Cause 49ers Rams isn't even that great of a matchup, very regional two teams that are not necessarily big needle movers and it right. had 50 million because of the out of home mm. factor. So 50 million, at least in the out of home era, I think that that late conference championship window will probably be at 50 million more often than not. Okay, one more note, and then we're going to get to our guests to talk some NBA and the future of their media rights. The future of the NFL will be different. I know that Drew Lerner wrote on your site on SportsMediaWatch.com. Get used to some new things after these two championship games and Super Bowl 57 are are played. The NFL and how we view it is changing, not just for the playoff coverage like you described, but the Sunday tickets got a different home. The direct TV red zone is gone. Uh, So there's going to be some different things here coming up with the NFL for the fall of 2023 when it comes back around. Yeah, so Drew Lerner, who's doing a little bit of work for the site lately, wrote a great comprehensive article about what the future holds, because ultimately these TV deals were first announced about two years ago. There's so many different aspects to them, very easy to forget what's coming. Uh, Certainly the Monday night flex scheduling is a big deal. Uh, So the piece uh, says week 14 on for the Monday night uh, flex. Adam Schefter had said that. Uh, But the ESPN press release at the time said, 
week 12. So still trying to get that clarified. So uh, I don't know if it'll be from week 14 on or week 12 on that Monday night football has flex scheduling, but that'll be a huge deal for Buck and Aikman next year. Uh, you know, I mean, they're going to get much better games down the stretch. No more Chargers, Colts, unless somehow both teams are really, really good. Uh, and, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, that's just necessary for the amount of money ESPN's paying. The only thing I will say, and I realize they're beholden to the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that are flowing every which direction through these television networks and to the teams. You're exactly right. Beholden is the right word. It is much different logistically. And you're talking to somebody that's part of a travel party, part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio broadcast. It is logistically much more chaotic when you're talking about moving a Sunday game, especially a Sunday early game, into a Monday night and how much notice you're going to do with that as opposed to a Sunday early game moving it just to yeah. Sunday night because on, on the same day, you still check out of the hotel. You just do it later. You don't have to stay overnight in the hotel. So, I mean, it logistically how right. they figure that out, that's a more drastic change to move it essentially 30 hours later to but Monday sure night or Sunday early. Yeah. Yeah, what I'm sure they'll do is what they do with the Saturday games. And they'll probably just set aside a bunch of games that don't have a date or time. And then, you know, how many ever weeks out or days out they will, because I believe it's uh, maybe an 11-day pick, they will announce when those games will be. That's what I think they'll do. You got you still create chaos with that. You can do it a couple of times, but if you're doing it over and over and over again with, hey, we're setting aside four games, and, when, and we're going to figure out out of these four which one are Sunday afternoon, which one are Sunday night, and which one's Monday night, yeah. Ew. All right. Uh, so good enough on the NFL talk. And you can read more of Drew's article on what it all looks like for the future um, with the NFL. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Okay, well, we're very happy to be joined today by the great Jason Clink Scales, uh, who you've read his work uh, in a variety of places, including Awful Announcing, Decider, and my own website, Sports Media Watch. Jason is also the first guest I ever had on my podcast uh, back in 2018 when I was yeah, wow. uh, trying, to, trying to do it. I was recording on my BlackBerry, and I had my BlackBerry uh, on my keyboard, and I was typing. So most of the recording just had the typing in it. Wasn't very well done. 
So I never actually uploaded it, but we talked about uh, that was right after the Serena thing at the open. And we yeah. had a lot. A lot and, and despite all your best efforts, John, Jason still returns your text message, your yes. email and your phone call and is willing to indeed. come back on as a guest. That's a fantastic thing, John Lewis. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So we're very happy to be joined by Jason. And uh, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA and the media right field is coming up. Uh relatively soon and and jason just wrote on smw uh, uh recently an article kind of looking at what warner brothers discovery is really going to be considering with this new deal we know that david zaslav uh, who is uh kind of the guy who's making a lot of changes over there at what used to be known as turner uh he has said that they don't need to have the nba a bit of a shot across the bow uh, a lot of people think it was a negotiating tactic and, uh, you know, uh, uh, certainly it brings into question just how much longer this relationship that goes back 30 years between the NBA and Turner will last. So, Jason, one, welcome to the show. And uh, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about that topic, about what the future is for the NBA and Turner? Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, I I feel, you know, very low in a totem pole when it comes to all this team guest here. So I guess I have to make sure I make my presence somewhat decent uh, after all the people I followed up. But, um, you know, I'm happy to talk about this because it is fascinating. You're right, John. Like, this is one of the longest I, I liked it in, in the article to peanut butter and jelly. I don't think there's a more symbiotic relationship in all of sports media than the NBA and whatever you want to call this group now. We're going to stick with the legacy term of Turner. Um, they've been incredibly symbiotic with each other over the last close to 30 years, however long it's been. Um, so there are obviously a lot of people who, you know, especially those who are younger millennials and definitely Gen Z and Gen Alpha has no idea what's happening. But there are people who've never known anything else but the NBA in turn. And, the, and the, their unique sort of look and their unique coverage of the NBA, it's going to be completely different when you put it onto another network. Or at least now, what we've seen over the years is that other networks have tried to copy the styles in some ways of what the NBA and Turner have done. Uh, that proves their success. It's going to be very interesting to see if this happens. I mean, personally, I don't see a separation between the two. And we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like this is one of the biggest and most successful relationships we've seen in, in television sport in televised sports history, or arguably tel television history. Um, so if Zasloff is saying right now they don't need the NBA, I do agree. Like, I do believe it was a negotiation tactic, although admittedly as somebody who has paid attention to the perceptions of the NBA over the last, I'm, I'm 40, God still kills me to say that, but most of my life understanding the perception of the NBA have always had a little bit of a, a tinge to it that other leagues don't get. So certainly when I caught the comment, it raised another Along for me of like, well, no one else is say this about another league. Um, but the NBA has always had this sort of criticism around it, going back to the Jordan era of, you know, the league being too black, which is the biggest thing, right? Um, the constant comparisons to success for other leagues. No other league got it in the same degree that the NBA has had. And so I think that when he made those comments, like it raised that alarm. But then realizing what's also happening in terms of the business, there's a negotiation tactic here. When you're talking about the NBA saying they're looking for a total of maybe $75 billion in all their uh, next rights packages, uh, surely the networks who are holding on to the league right now are thinking like, so you ask us for more money? Eh, don't know about that. <laughs> um, 
But again, I, I think culturally around what's been to happen with the NBA over, over the last, you know, 30, 40 years, um, any comment about its standing in media is going to raise more eyebrows than what would happen with the other leagues. Like I see TJ representing uh, Tim, Tim Bay Lightning right now. The NHL's had their issues, but not to the degree the NBA has had in terms of like public perception. So I think it's going to be interesting to see where it goes if it even moves at all. Well, you know, I think what you bring up is very interesting. Kind of the kind of the way that you see people talk about the NBA that's a little bit different. Where it's like, well, we don't need the NBA. You know, you don't. No one would ever dare say that about the NFL. I mean, maybe John Skipper, if he had stayed a little bit longer at ESPN, given how that relationship between those two leagues was trending under his stewardship, but no one would ever say that. I mean, people don't say, well, we don't need baseball. I mean, although I will say, if you go back to about twenty years ago. This was kind of the way people talked, you know, uh, certainly when NBC dropped the NBA, there was there was some stuff like this. Uh, there there was that article in Variety, which nobody but me remembers, where basically I mean, in, in 2001, they mm. were saying that the NBA's audience was too black for NBC. That's what that was in the pages of Variety. Uh, and, uh, you know, and at that time, generally, you had network executives, and we don't need to even talk specifically about the NBA, network network executives throughout the 90s kept on saying, we're not going to pay any more money. And then they lost the rights. And then they came back as soon as they could hat in hand because they'd screwed up. You saw that at CBS with the NFL, at NBC with the NFL, time and time again. So, you know, maybe Zaslav, who seems to be pretty old school, maybe it's not an NBA specific thing. Maybe it's that mindset of those network executives of the 90s who all learned their lesson very quickly about the value of televised sports. But also, just to add in, um, with with um, Warner Brothers Discovery at the moment, they happen to have the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL on their coffers. Now, with baseball, you know that was an extension of a deal. The NHL, this is now their ongoing second season of a seven-year deal. So those are relatively newer deals, whereas the NBA is a little more expiring. And so it's easier for them to sort of say, well, we may not need this anymore. This is going to be on the way out. Um, but also keep in mind, in 2014, um, and some disclosure for people who haven't figured this out, I used to work at Turner for, for I've worked for several TV networks as a research analyst, as well as um, a couple of agencies. And when I was over there at Turner, um, it was one of those uh, bad timing sort of things where they hired a lot of people, but then ended up letting them go as part of their restructuring, if you will, at the time. Um, at that time, when they were restructuring, they were trying to avoid uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, trade takeover bid. He offered to buy the whole group for $80 billion. Eventually, he didn't buy it, but AT&T did, which then led to whatever cuckold happened under AT&T's watch and where it is now, Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, but during that time, they decided to let go of you know, a lot of staff reductions, as was happening right now, Warner Brothers Discovery. There's a lot of staff reductions. I'm sure there's also some resource reductions, relatively speaking. But they were still negotiating with the NBA because they knew that they were not going to let that go. Um, and that was you know, 2014. Eventually, that got renewed and extended. Um, and that's where we have this deal right now. So that's where I also believe this is negotiation, boy. This is a similar template right now. And because all the networks in particular, all the media network groups, understand that if you don't have live sports, you might as well just fold up shop at this point because no one's going to think about you. Um, he is trying to tamp down the cost as much as possible, although I seriously think that, yeah, you're going to lose this battle. You're not – I think that I think with Zasloff and his team, 
you're coming over from discovery. You had discovery, you had TLC, you had all this stuff. Yeah. Reality programming. You had, you know, once upon a time, those networks are actually good. They actually had like, you know, quality programming. He was able to change things over with reality shows, but those were far cheaper, far cheaper than a sports rights deal. It's a different kind of negotiation. This isn't something that you can sort of, you know, you can't replace the NBA, to be honest with you. You, you, you with, we'll get into it more. You can't replace this audience. You can't replace its scheduling. You can't replace the programming. You can't replace it in the same degree that you could for some of the other shows or some of the other films, whatever else. Um, and I think right now, because they also happen to have the only other of the major male leagues, the only other leagues that would be up for renewal are the leagues they already have, which is the NHL, which is at Major League Baseball. And that's not for me at this point. It's another five years from now. Um, and so when this deal comes up in the NBA, you're going to have a three-year period of like, well, what are we going to do? You can hold on to those leagues, but then you need something else. I, I think that it's going to be – it's going to be Turner's going to be very hard-pressed to let go of it because there isn't another replacement available. Um, and not just in terms of the programming, but also in terms of the audience. Like you're just not going to get anywhere else. Yeah. You know, the NBA is the second most popular league in the United States. You're not going to replicate that in the same degree you would with anything else. It's just not going to happen. Okay, so here's where I come in as the old guy, the resident old sure. guy in this three-way conversation, because I'm now going to speak a language that you guys are somewhat familiar with, but you don't know and understand. The NBA could no. never, ever in the 1970s have envisioned that they were going to have national television live mm -hmm. games during the week. They, this is a league, as you guys know, that struggled to even get their playoffs on live network TV that during the week they were on tape delay. All right, so then we progress through this. I was a huge Turner slash TBS fan in the 80s because that was national NBA basketball instead of regional cable. You'd watch the Atlanta Hawks, but you'd watch them as much for playing the Boston Celtics or playing the Knicks or playing the Bulls or playing the Lakers because that was the national feed. Remember now in that time frame, there's not satellite. There's not obviously what we have with the internet and being able to say to, to uh, see games. So then we progress to like the TNT or the Turner national game. And that was such a big deal guys, because again, you didn't see Larry bird all the time on TV. You saw him on the weekend on CBS but it's not like you were seeing him 82 times a year. You would see him maybe 10 times a year previously on CBS, even including the playoffs, just giving you some context. When that Turner deal came in, it was such a big deal to see double headers of, of stars that you weren't seeing on a regular basis. So my question that I'm eventually coming to here is some of that novelty now worn off because every game can be seen everywhere with the league pass and all the stuff. And is that part of the argument that unless you get a night like what they've done, where we're the only two games on Turner's got the only two games on the novelty of games and the stars, isn't what it was 20 or 30 years ago, Jason, what's your reaction to all of that and how the dynamic has changed and how it may be affecting the mindset the, that they have at this point. Hey, TJ, you make an excellent point. I mean, the media landscape has changed so dramatically. Forget the last 40 years. It's changed in the last five years. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like, the ability to, listen, I, let me just, on a personal level, born and raised in New York City, I'm a Knicks masochist. Uh, 
But I was one of those people who grew up without cable for a good part of my life. I didn't mm-hmm. have cable until high school, right? So, you know, I'm 80s, 90s kid. So I only got to see the Knicks if they were on NBA on NBC. Um, I didn't see them on Turner until later on. And thank goodness I did. And I had access to MSG and all that, life, right? So I definitely understand. Once you are able, as, as a fan, once you are, you go from one mode of having watched something your, your whole life. And then you have access to more and it changes. So you're right. Now, this is me changing from like the 80s to the 90s and the 2000s. That's just going from regular TV, you know, broadcast TV to cable. I didn't have access to League Pass or anything like that. So that's also changed the game in significant ways. Um, so, yeah, in this era, when you're talking about I can watch on linear, I can watch on cable, I can watch, you know, League Pass. I can Now there's all these different services like things like buzzer is one that does like well you can watch like a minute of like the final games there's a for a lot of people whose um you know consumption habits have changed it is world changing there's no doubt about it that said not everybody's engaging in all those other platforms at the same degree i mean when you're going when you're going from you know broadcast broadcast to cable well more and more people were adding cable and it, it was still in one device it became more accessible people just still gravitated to it they said, oh, I can watch more stars. I can watch more teams. And that's great. Um, people are doing that now with mobile devices in the same way, and that's great. But there is still something special about having one sort of cohesive viewing window for a lot of people. That's why people talk about you know the athletes they st- the way they still do. That's why we still talk about LeBron the way we do, because we can all see him on these national windows. We don't have to have you – know, you're not going to league pass for every single LeBron game, whatever else it might be, right? There are still these national windows in which there's a collective coming together of people. And that still matters, even if it's not to the same degree as it was in the past. I mean, that's all television. Um, so I definitely agree that like that probably has changed the calculus a little bit for the decision makers here. Uh, but that said, if you are still because the because the landscape is so fractured, anybody who has that one window where people can come together for a larger, you know, a larger sense of viewing. Uh, you have a larger audience that's going to have much more of a hold on people. That's going to have much more value on, for, for, for all the businesses involved than the splintered windows. Um, and I think now, even if you're including the streaming windows, like, you know, it's talking about Amazon or Apple and all this stuff, that's a whole different ballgame too. And there's a business side to it as well. But I do think that while it changes the calculus, it, it doesn't change it so much that there's no value to that single national window or the double header. Um, those are the things that we're talking about the next day. Those are the things that we're talking about on the hot take shows. Those are the things we're tweeting about. The conversation starters. You don't have a conversation starter on League Pass in the same way you have on TNT or on ESPN. So I, I, that's why I think like there's a good point to it. But that single window, that double header, or whatever it might be, the regular broadcast, especially during the week. Look, there are people who are still watching. You know, there are still people who just want to watch sports. They don't want to watch. You know, a a regular TV show or something like that. They're looking for sports every single night. There's that expectation that's built over the years. And so if you have those windows in which they'll find a game, they're going to come to you no matter what. Yeah. And I think the reality of the matter is, you know, one of the things Turner could do in the next deal is shift a lot of games to HBO Max. I mean, they're probably going to do that no matter what, no matter who was running it. But you're not going to get 2.4 million viewers for 
you know, like they did for Warriors Celtics last week on HBO Max. I mean, this is a limit to what you can do. Uh, the reason broadcast TV outdraws cable is because people will stumble across games on broadcast TV more easily, and even if they weren't interested. And that's the reason why cable will outdraw these streaming services, because people will still stumble more easily across a cable network. You have to actively sign up, actively have an account, manfully, you know, go up well manfully i don't know why i said manfully <laughs> about yeah. willfully how about yes, willfully. willfully right thank you you have to willfully click on the you know uh, on the app like you have to have an intention to all of that that is not how you get big numbers how you get big numbers in tv is passively through people just kind of oh this is on all right, i'll just watch it and so ultimately what you're talking about is is completely correct which is that there will always be greater value for linear TV, even with cable, you know, kind of declining, you're still going to get, if you want to get big audiences, that's going to be the place to get it. And, you know, I guess we'll get into it a little bit later on, but like this, there's also on the business side, there's a significant problem with measurement for the streamers. Yeah. And I think the business community around it, the advertisers, the sponsors, the networks themselves, they still have yet to agree on proper measurement of the streaming vehicles. And so that's the other reason why, you know, at least right now, if you're an incumbent network that has a sports deal, you try to hold on to as much as possible because you know you can measure it, you know you can sell it. You can't sell another walled garden. And a lot of people are really trying to stay away from adding more subscription services, but that's a Another conversation, I guess, or maybe we'll have it later on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, you know, to that point about the measurement. Uh, so, you know, we did see Amazon Prime get measured this year, uh, you know, mm -hmm. by Nielsen. But for the most part, these events on streaming services are still being measured by Adobe Analytics. Not that Adobe Analytics is not credible, but certainly, you know, you want it all to be the whole reason why people tolerate Nielsen is because it is the same measurement for everything. Everything is, so even if the numbers are off, the comparison usually will not be. You can say, well, we did better than the other network, all things being equal. How long do you think it'll be before we start to see these streaming services uh, and these streaming packages all measured by Nielsen? Or do you think this is just going to be an Amazon deal? I, I just, <laughs> I'm laughing because having worked with some of these places, this is a battle that's been waged forever, and it's going to continue to be waged forever. First of all, the networks, the networks, this might be nerd, I, I, I'm going to say nerd speak, but like at its core, the, the networks just are tired of payments, straight up. Like that's what it is. And Nielsen actually has a lot more data that networks can use, but choose not to. Um, but they have a much more robust offering because they've been doing this much longer. All these other companies, and, and they try to sell it as add-ons, all the networks, and all the agencies. So they're just tired of paying these. I mean, we could talk about methodology, Nissanity, all you want. They just, they're just they really tired of forking over like hundreds of million dollars to them every year in order to have access to these numbers. Uh, and so when you look at some of the other companies that say, hey, we can compete, we can do this, and the other, and do they call, you know, it all comes down to money. And it's like, it's like anything else in this world, right? It comes down to how much you want to pay. Um, but I also think that with the other measurement services, the methodology is not as, you know, there, there are debates on, can this, can this compare to Nielsen? Because at the end of it all, at the end of the day, all these services have to have something that's comparable that can replace Nielsen. You have to do so by potentially copying or at least coming close to their methodologies. So here's the nerds speak I'm talking about. 
if you're a Nielsen viewer, if, if, if you're a TV viewer, Nielsen counts you, you count if you are watching a program for at least six consecutive minutes. Some of these other services, it's like, well, if you watch, if you just click on it, or if you just mm-hmm. watch for a second, and then they count you. But that is a very dubious way of counting somebody. And especially with the technologies out here, you can have bots click on something to make sure it counts you. Like you can do all sorts of things and manipulate it in a way that you can't do for manual intelligence viewing. So until those services actually get on board and can say we have something that matches close to what Nielsen is doing, you're still gonna have these problems over and over again. Now, some of these groups have tried. You know, NBC and iSpot TV had the deal last year in terms of, you know, measuring the Olympics. And that was still self-reported by NBC. So that's a whole conversation there. Uh, Turner has obviously had their own sort of group uh, working with iSpot TV, I think it was as well. Uh, but they're all still measuring to the Nielsen standard. And so until all these other competitors can prove that they could do that, it's not going to happen. But then also these companies need to, these competitors need, well, they need clients. They need the clients to fork over more money and they're not going to want to fork over more money. So it's this really, what's the best word? I don't want to say cash 22, maybe cash 22. It's like, yeah, well, we can do it, but you got to pay us. But then we don't want to pay you, but then we want you to prove that you can do this. That's where we are. That's where we've been for at least, I mean, I worked in, I worked, you know, with these networks and these agencies for years. I mean, we're talking about 15 plus years. Having this, we're having the same conversations in 2007 that we're having in 2023. So I, I think they're getting closer. Maybe by the end of this decade is where there could be like assured absolute, like there's an absolute competitor, but it still needs this time. And it still needs, a, these companies still need the time and the resources. And they're just not there yet. Um, and that's also why, again, I don't think that, you know, a major, you know, going back to this particular conversation, I don't see the NBA taking the chance on Amazon Prime Video just yet for a significant window. I mean, we're not talking about ESPN potentially, you know, giving up on the NBA. We're mostly talking about Warner Brothers Discovery, right? Do you see that Thursday night doubleheader mm. going to the streamer right now, as is with the money it can generate? I don't see that happening, especially when you can't measure it in a consistent way that could be sold for all the partners you'd be happy with. Like, I just don't see that. Maybe they could try a game here and there, which is technically what the NFL did. The NFL took their least valuable, you know, viewing window, which was Thursday night football, and said we could try this as an experiment for Amazon TV. It was easy for them to do that because people weren't clamoring for Thursday night football the same way they do for Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, or to a degree Monday night. Uh, the NBA might take a you know a couple games here and there, and as much as I love the league, they did that for the WNBA. I don't see them taking like the most valuable window in TV, and arguably the second most valuable, the most valuable window in television outside of the NFL. I don't see them taking that over to a streamer right now until they can get all the other business issues worked out, including measure. Well, I would I would say because I can already hear people like saying this, the most valuable outside of the NFL among the Big Four. Because they would say right. college football, college football. Right. But um, you know, I, I, before we go, because we only have a little bit of time left. Uh, so, what about if you know Thursday night football is obviously low priority to the NFL. Thursday night NBA is high priority to the NBA. But if you were to have a circumstance where those Thursday games were measured by Nielsen, just like with the NFL, 
And if you were to have a circumstance where Thursday night football ends in the very next week, Amazon, the same outlet is carrying Thursday night NBA and promoting that they will do so during those NFL games, would that change the calculus a little bit for the NBA? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think that's a really good question. Um, Cause it kind of goes to this theory. Like I, I want to play with like, you know, most people like to say, Oh, well, we don't watch we don't pay attention to the NBA until football season, right? It is over. So that kind of fits into that sort of calculus a little bit for the people who say they do that. I personally don't think that's really happening, but that's a theory I like to sort of test with some 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 numbers. But yeah, that could be very interesting. But again, I think again, you're talking about a network that has thir- you know, NBA on Thursdays, right? We're talking about having it from October to basically June. And what you're doing is taking away October, November, December, and maybe January, which is actually a really hard window to sort of give up on as is, I think. Um, A really good question. I think anybody who wants, I think any of the broadcasters or streamers that want it, they don't want like a partial thing. They might want the whole thing because they realize, I mentioned those months because that's actually when like TV viewing is at its highest during the year. That's when the usage is at the highest during the year. I think, yeah, Amazon could probably say we want the later part of the year, and that's fine, but they also probably want to build some momentum afterwards. I think they want things that, um, you know, I think I can't imagine that they would just want a partial window, especially on a Thursday. They might want another day. There's, but it is an, it is an interesting option. Um, but I do think that the value of Thursday night is not just about, you know, a few months of the year. They want the whole season. Um, I, I have no problem being wrong about that. But I would imagine that Amazon is going to want October through June or May, whatever you want to call it, if they get some playoff windows, because there's so much more money to be made from the entire window and not just, you know, late winter, spring, fall, whatever else. Um, but that could be a very interesting option. Um, but also maybe Amazon decides we'll try to do a Wednesday window because yeah. football does not touch Wednesdays in any capacity throughout the year. So maybe Wednesday is a good option for them. Uh, yeah, especially since other sports don't dominate that window, the NHL a little bit. Um, but that could be that could be a fascinating sort of option for sure. Well, don't forget football had that Wednesday afternoon game in the COVID year, and they got 10 million viewers for it, Ravens and Steelers, Wednesday afternoon at 3.30. But... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> unfortunately we got to cut it short here we got to go uh jason thank you so much for the time and the insights it was really great hearing from you and uh, we'll be looking forward to reading your next piece about the nba's media rights on smw gentlemen i appreciate it and um i wish we could have had more conversations about the i could bridge the generational divide between you guys a little bit in terms of tv <laughs> but uh you are maybe another show you are in the middle, and we'd love to have you back on, on that regard. Very educational stuff. One thing that I will say in closing, John and Jason, I think we can all three see each other. We're all nodding along. Turner is not going to just give this up, whatever you call it now, Warner Brothers Discovery. They're not just going to give it up. Maybe they they vary on how it is shown, but the NBA legacy, to use your word from the beginning of the conversation, is huge for them. They're not just going to let it go and let it go to somebody else. I think we all agree on that, John. Absolutely. Uh, that You know, just all the money they've invested into E.J. Kenny and Charles alone. So. And Shaq, of course. Shaq's also there. Right. Jason, thank you, buddy. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it.
enjoyed that conversation and they need to read more of his article, John, that's on your site about what the future of the NBA rights look like. I want your opinion on what I was saying because I was getting his. I And I said it there at the very end. I just can't see for the legacy and what they've built up yeah. that Turner walks away from it. So they're going to figure something out, aren't they, on no. what it is? You would think so. But keep in mind, the culture of Turner is now the culture of discovery. And discovery doesn't have any legacy to speak of at all in anything. So their whole circumstance might be completely changed because they've got this newcomer who you know made his entire career off of you know, making reality shows about suffering morbidly obese people for viewers to gawk at, right? <laughs> That's the entire Discovery Channel MO. And all of everything that Time Warner, Warner Brothers, Turner put together, I mean, it does, you know, it's 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 not I, theirs anymore. I'll I'll put one example out there, and this is interesting from the boxing world and the and the sports media world. So HBO, what was home box office, and by the way, you love the nostalgia. The first HBO boxing broadcast was the famous Joe Frazier, George Foreman. Down goes Frazier from Howard Cosell. That was 50 years ago this past Sunday, 1973. That was HBO's first broadcast. Again, the broadcast was closed circuit. Uh, remember, no pay-per-view. Closed circuit at like a movie theater or at a, at a ballroom. And then also on HBO, which was not in a lot of homes, and then eventually on tape delay is the Cosell famous call. All right. That started a 45-year run for HBO televising live boxing. They wow. became iconic, John, in the 1980s for the premier boxing matches being on HBO, not being on pay-per-view, not being on a satellite, but being on HBO. What eventually happened, and this goes to your point, now I'm coming to your correlation of the current boss or bosses at Discovery and Warner Brothers, et cetera, is they got a couple of people in charge that began to look at it and say, we're spending so much money on production of live boxing and the production of live boxing and the, li and the showing of live boxing isn't really exclusive and the best fights aren't on HBO anymore. Fights are on elsewhere, on Showtime, on other networks on streaming we don't see the value in this anymore and they destroyed the 45 year legacy and brand of hbo's boxing the guy i'll even name the name the guy peter nelson is the one that engineered that and part of his argument was we we get 20 plus million viewers for game of thrones which mm -hmm. we control which we produce and the boxing does well to get a million or two million so that's the comparison all right well as it ends up uh, HBO boxing was more missed than what they realized. And Peter Nelson eventually got fired and ousted out of his role making those decisions. Now, HBO's boxing has never come back in the last five years. Now we bring it to this situation, and I want your take. The NBA is much more valuable than that. The NBA ratings, the live sports NBA ratings are much more valuable than that. So I'm putting that into the discussion Maybe you learn from the past mistake on live sports with HBO. Maybe you care. Maybe you don't care. But certainly, we're not talking about an insignificant product with insignificant ratings, John. So follow up on that before we wrap it up. Well, obviously, the NBA, you know, 22.4 uh, million viewers last week for Warriors Celtics. You know, the NBA is not getting that kind of number every week. But the fact that the NBA can get that number on cable in the regular season 
you know, the reality of the matter is that game at a 0.77 rating in 18 to 49 was the highest rated show on all of TV Thursday night. Now, this is the regular season, you know, didn't used to be that way, by the way. The NBA, even on its best regular season days, was not winning the night across mm. broadcasting cable, right. uh, you know, years ago. But as the rest of TV has collapsed, you know, the NBA with I mean, even on a total viewership. Uh, basis 2.4 million viewers you know that's bigger than anything fox had thursday mm. i mean uh you know fox uh the broadcast network because obviously their news channel does a little bit better than that uh it was better than you know uh some of the shows on abc abc had celebrity jeopardy at 4.2 million and their two lead out shows the atrocious looking parent test and good on the american public <laughs> for tuning that nonsense out was only at 2.1 million the chase was at 2.3 million BBC had that that Warrior Celtics game on. They would have done way better overall in the uh, in the demo, but they probably for the night would have had a better night in total viewership. Uh, maybe not actually. I think right, about it. Uh, but still, I mean, just the demos alone, you know, would have been would have been uh, worth worth doing. I mean, this is this is why live sports is so valuable. The rest of TV is completely collapsed. You know, well, you know, I mean, welcome to Flat got a second season, right? You know, uh, it's 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 they dire. keep going on. I keep bringing it up with the mass singer and the mass singer does yeah. well to get two million people to watch it anymore. Now, when it debuted a few years ago, it had like seven or eight million. I remember looking oh, it yeah. up with all the Matt Tom singer Brady was a hit. Yes. But now they do well to have one quarter of that audience, to yeah. your point yeah. uh, on that channel. But I just I can't see them right now walking away from that legacy. Maybe they will. Yeah. And maybe people get fired. When they no, do I mean, it. It, it's not going to surprise me just because it's not going to be a decision based on anything other than, you know, kind of the arrogance of somebody who has succeeded in a relatively easy space, which is creating trash TV, right? He, that's what he's done. He's created trash TV. He's never had to do anything more than create trash sure. TV over at Discovery. And the reality of the matter is, uh, maybe that'll be successful. I mean, trash TV, you spend very little you get big, well, relatively big ratings and you profit. It's, it's the Donald Sterling approach of putting a garbage product out there, but you're not spending much money. So it works out. Okay. On that note, let's get into some love it or leave it here to finish up the show with some different subjects. Here we go. Love it or leave it. It has been rep reported as we go into this uh, podcast here, although not confirmed that I've seen as of yet, but it will be soon, that Chip Carey uh, is leaving the Atlanta Braves broadcast. He has been a legacy broadcaster, speaking of legacies with the Atlanta Braves for the better part of a couple of decades now. Chip was formerly with the Chicago Cubs at the beginning of his career, along with Fox Sports, but he's really settled in over the last 15-plus years as an Atlanta Braves TV announcer primarily. He will now go to the St. Louis Cardinals and follow in the footsteps of his legendary grandfather, Harry Carey, calling the Cardinal games for so many years before uh, doing the Cubs broadcast on WGN, etc., so love it or leave it, thoughts on this move? Because I have a thought, but I want you to go first on Chip Carey returning to the roots of his granddad with the Cardinals. Well, you know, I mean, look, ultimately, uh, Chip Carey's had a long, successful career for a lot of different outlets. Uh, he has not always been the best received. Certainly his time at Turner, uh, when he was the lead on the on TBS, uh, very few play-by-play -play voices have ever gotten more criticism than Chip Carey did. He was savaged, and that was even before uh, 
you know, social media took off to the way that it is now. So, uh, you know, I mean, but he survived. He's still out there working. He's been doing the Braves for a while. And the Cardinals gig is certainly one of the highest rated in all of baseball. So uh, it seems to be working out for him. Uh, you know, and uh, I guess uh, we'll see where he goes from here. Right? The loyalty and allegiance factor is humongous. And I actually I, I like this kind of move. This is nostalgic. This is he wants a change that remember the Braves won the World Series yeah. a couple of years ago. He got yeah. to call that and be part of that. And now he's going to uh, finish his career more than likely the latter half of his career here doing the Cardinals, where they have such a rabid uh, following uh, following along the lines of uh, Jack Buck and Joe yeah. Buck doing the Cardinals. Jack Buck on the radio primarily. Joe Buck, Cardinals radio, and then Cardinals TV before a jump into Fox. Chip Carey actually began as the Orlando Magic original really? TV voice in the late 1980s. Am I teaching the NBA guru of yeah. sportsmediawatch.com something? Chip Carey was the original television voice. His first gig, really, his first big-time gig was with the Magic in the late 1980s with Goose Givens. Jack Goose Givens in his first incarnation before he got bigger and very interesting on our buddy George Offman's podcast series. Tell me a story. I don't know. Chip Carey was on that podcast. Uh, I believe we played the episode last year. You can go back on the feed search here on this feed for Chip Carey um, uh, talking about being the Cubs announcer following his grandfather and the Cubs players had a real problem with him and him being critical at times so much so that they had a closed door meeting where he met them on their terms in the clubhouse. And as chip relays the story, he didn't back down. You need to go back and hear the episode. They were coming at him about, you're not one of us. You're out to get us. And he, I mean, go listen to George's tell me a story. I don't know on Chip Carey dealing with the Cub players in a players versus broadcaster situation on their turf with the door closed in the clubhouse. That's wow. big on Chip Carey to have gone and done that. And now again, we await for him to take over as the new Cardinals uh, television voice again with all the history and the tradition of those announcers that are there. Let's move on while we have the chance. Love it or leave it. Another item here, and we see this from time to time where coaches get hired right out of the broadcast booth yeah. or right out of the studio in season. It has happened for Turner's coverage of the NHL nationally where Rick Tockett, a yeah. former player and a former brief time coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, for one, has now left the booth to go coach the Vancouver Canucks. The Canucks made a coaching change on the weekend, firing their coach, Bruce Boudreaux. They've had a myriad, a revolving door of coaches. But it's Tockett leaving the TNT studio uh, with Liam McHugh and the other guys that are there. Help me if I get this wrong. It's uh, I'm trying to remember uh, who all is in the studio with him. Uh, Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky, ha he had been, but not all the time. And Gretzky yeah. and Tockett, by the way, are the best of, of buds yeah, of course. from That's their years. And Tockett, and Tockett was an assistant with Gretzky when Gretzky was coaching uh, as well. got in trouble there, didn't What he? is it? Anson? Yeah, it's it's Anson Carter. That's the yeah. other uh, studio analyst and the guy from the the podcast Bissonette. That's yeah. there also. But Tockett leaving to go to a team in season. What do you what do you make of this? Not just from the X's and O standpoint, but he leaves the the Turner Television coverage, and it's not the first time this has happened. Right. In a season. Well, you know, this is just kind of what happens when you hire people who are relatively young and still uh, aspire to coach. Uh, you know, Turner had that happen with Stan Van Gundy. Very few people remember Stan Van Gundy coached Zion Williamson for uh, Zion Williamson for about five minutes. <laughs> uh, had that one season 
and then went right back. So I'm sure they would expect to get Tockett back. Maybe it'll be a Barry Melrose in Tampa circumstance. You oh. must remember that. Barry Melrose came I don't in think, and coached I don't life. think Barry was here for a full hockey period, no, he was wasn't. he? Uh, no, before he, uh, the intermission, and he was gone. It was literally less than ten games. Yeah, well, in ESPN. A wild time. Yeah, it was. It, it resulted in ESPN having two hockey analysts for a little bit because they hired Matthew Barnaby to replace Melrose, and then Melrose came back, and they had two hockey analysts, which was just a, a a wealth of coverage for ESPN at that time. Then Barnaby got into some trouble, and that was that. Uh, at least that's how I remember it. Um, yes, you're correct. Uh, and so, uh, you know, but uh, look, ultimately, this is what happens when you hire people who aspire to coach. I'm a little surprised. I didn't know Tockett was still someone in contention because of how things ended in uh, Phoenix, in Arizona. Right. That was, mm-hmm. there was some controversy there, if I recall. Uh, so I was a bit surprised to, to know that he would head back in. But, you know, I guess uh, Turner will now need to find someone. I'm, I know Mike Milbury is available, so I'm sure they will get Mike Milbury. <laughs> Did or I Pierre detect McGuire. a little, uh, oh, Pierre Maguire too. Did I detect a little sarcasm there? And Maguire's yeah. now back available because he went to work. He went to work for a team and got fired after one year, right, in Ottawa, I believe. Did he really? Yes. He uh-huh. left NBC on the TV switchover and went to work, I believe, with Ottawa and got fired after one season. So he's uh-huh. now back available doing something. Uh, somewhere, but interesting on the Tocket hire. We've got another. Here we go. Love it or leave it. You want to do a little love it or leave it on NIL, name, image, oh, and yeah. likeness. Are you loving this or are you comically sitting back like many of us going, they have no clue how to police this or rein it in? Right. Where do you come down, John Lewis? Well, I've always felt like it was totally wrong that college athletes could generate billions of dollars in revenue for their schools and not get a piece of it. I just don't know if uh, the way things are manifesting is right, because ultimately it's what they're actually doing to generate that money is not what is getting them deals in in a lot of cases. So uh, I think everyone's heard of Libby Dunn now at LSU, right? And you know uh, the 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 teenage boys acting like fools and everything, and 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 she's made a lot of money. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just feel like the NIL circumstance to me, you know, I wanted athletes to get paid based on what they were generating not necessarily even just for their schools, but even, you know, for their teams. And I guess my question is, what is the criteria? Because I know that, you know, there are other players on the team who could probably, if we were basing this on skill, be making millions of dollars as well, right? I mean, Kaya Johnson is probably a more important member of the team. She just had an Achilles issue. She's out for the season now. Uh, Haley Bryant, you know, would they also be able to make that kind of money? That's kind of the question that I have, because if NIL is based, once you get past the quarterbacks or even with the quarterbacks too, if it's just based on who's popular on social media, for whatever reason, people are popular on social media. I don't feel like that's good. Like, that's not what this was about. This was never about, you know, athletes monetizing. I mean, I have no problem with athletes monetizing, you know, their non-athletic aspects, their celebrity. But the whole point of this discussion was that what the athletes were doing on the field was generating significant riches for the schools mm-hmm. and making sure the athletes get a piece of that. This almost seems completely separate from that. And I, I don't know how I feel about it because I feel like, a lot of the criteria is, are you famous on TikTok? 
And not everyone's going to be famous on TikTok because the criteria for being famous on social media often has very little to do with your skill and more to do with things that people have no I understand. control. So what, what's interesting with this is that uh, the idea comes out of the Olympic sports like track and field, gymnastics like you're referencing, uh, swimming, where the amateur quote unquote athlete could still make money off of their endorsements, off their name, off of off of being able to sign autographs, their merchandise, while not being considered a professional in their sport, being right. paid to be in track, in swimming, right. in gymnastics. Uh, so that that's where the model, that's where the idea comes out of for this. But like so many other things with the NCAA, it's so twisted and so screwed up, like what you were talking about, that it's almost become a inducement to come to this school. This is what Nick Saban's criticism was of Jimbo Fisher last college football offseason, that he's never been able to sign repeated five-star athletes right. until now he has NIL money available to pay all of them six figures to come, whether their actual name and image and likeness is actually right. worth that. That's where all yeah. of that was born out of. So yeah. I blame the NCA a lot, but I also understand your premise. Is it truly that your name, your image, your likeness is worth something to an advertiser? What is it? Is it truly right. that you're just popular on social media? I right. mean, for some of these athletes, if they are endorsing things, endorsing a product, buy the product, uh, buy the merchandise because of me, that's kind of the premise of, of what has been out there like you know athletes hawking Wheaties I'm a champion I'm on the Wheaties box we're selling yeah. Wheaties I get a cut of that because you're using my image on the Wheaties box right John just finish up well yeah I mean I, I think it's good for athletes to be able to one to cash in on whatever they want to cash in on the NCAA preventing athletes from being able to pursue whatever professional career they wanted was absurd and disgusting I guess it's just there should be something else it, you know NIL does not cover everything because ultimately what i'm seeing is that more often than not it seems to be about popularity that has nothing to do even with athletics and that still doesn't get down to you know when it comes down to it i'm sure the lsu gymnastics team loses money like most non-revenue sports mm -hmm. do but when people are buying tickets you know the other athletes on that team are a part of that they're a part of the program that has been a contender for national championships for years. It's not just one person. So if that one person is able to be successful with their NIL because they're popular on social media, there should still be a way for the other members of the team to make a little something. Because ultimately, it seems to me like NIL is not solving any problem other than the problem of people who were maybe missing out on personal branding that yep. they could have otherwise had. Of course, this is not a surprise. You're not saying that it is. It's not a surprise no. that the NCAA has screwed this up no. and has let the genie out of the bottle and can't figure out why it's screwed up. Welcome to uh, welcome to the NCAA. All right. Good stuff on all of that. Uh, we've come to the end. We want to say thank you again to Jason Klinkscales for being with us, talking about the NBA rights. Anything else here, John Lewis, before we depart on this edition of the show? Uh, no, I think we're good. We have had a good time with all of this. Again, thank you for finding us. Make sure you're following or subscribing right here as part of the SportsMediaWatch.com uh, podcast feed. 
Uh, we'll see what happens in those championship games this weekend with uh, Philadelphia hosting San Francisco first, followed by Kansas City and Cincinnati. Fun note as we depart, uh, the Chiefs are the first ever, ever uh, NFL team to host five conference championship games in a row. That's history. Also, the four times that the Bengals have been in the conference championship game in the AFC, the 49ers have been in the conference championship wow. game in the NFC. Two previous times, 81 and 88, they played in the Super Bowl. Last year, they did not play in the Super Bowl because Cincinnati won, but the Rams beat the 49ers. Yep. Four times ever, the Bengals have been in the championship of the AFC, and the 49ers have been across from them in the championship game of the NFC. Will they meet a third time in the Super Bowl? Who knows? See. We'll find out for this weekend. Uh, John, thanks. And we thank all of you for finding us as well. Make sure you're following, subscribing, as I mentioned, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anything else? We good? Well, I was going to say that I believe the last four times the Mavericks have been to the conference finals, the Heat have been there. So this past year, 2011, 2006, and 2005. Wow. But Look at you going next level. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Check that. It is, but then the Mavericks also made it in 03, and the Heat weren't there because it was Nets Pistons. Still, of course, yeah, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, a little follow up, a little addendum. very different versions of the Heat too uh, across those uh, years. So. Very true, very true. Uh, by the way, did you see the stat? And we got to go, but did you see the stat that uh, Caitlin Clark is the female basketball player for Iowa? triple-double in the game with Ohio State. She's one of the premier scorers in college basketball. They're a top 10 team. She, uh, they're, they're, about to, they're about to probably be a top five team. She had a triple-double in the game at Ohio State. Ohio State ranked number two in the country. The only other time in the history of men's or women's Division I basketball that a player got a triple-double against a number two-ranked or number one-ranked team was Dwayne Wade in 2003 for Marquette. Mm. In a game against the number two team, he got a triple-double. That's it. Talk about a list to be on. Caitlin Clark, Iowa female basketball player, and Dwayne Wade. Triple-double against a number two or number one ranked team. Wow. That... You wonder how uh, UConn didn't end up getting her, although it's far better for the sport they didn't. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, Big Ten basketball is rolling along there in the women's game, too, uh, along with the SEC. It's like $62 to get courtside seats. I'm not even (laughs) kidding. You should probably just do it. Sit courtside. I mean, I'm genuinely not kidding. That's the price, 62 bucks. Go pay it. Go pay it and go see Caitlin Clark when she comes to town. Well, uh, she's already been through. I didn't even know it was happening. I found out like the day after. It's like, oh, I would have gone to that. But. There you go. Uh, listen, great stuff here at the end, including some nuggets. Again, follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. For now, we're good on the latest sportsmediawatch.com podcast.